Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, use your word to bring light to those living in darkness and then strength to everyone who places their hope and faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Ephesians 4 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we come back to this very important section. And I rushed over it last time, and I would like to pick up two or three things. The Lord Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, we saw that he did two things. That he took the Old Testament saints out of paradise, the land where he is. And then he gave gifts to the church down here. The members of the church all are given a gift. And then he took some of these gifted men that he'd given gifts to, and he gave them to certain churches. Or he's given to the whole church these gifted men. And there are the apostles, and there are the prophets, and there's no one around today with the office of apostle. But actually the apostles belong to us today and the prophets. Now, they themselves, they've passed off the scene long ago but they're still members of his church. And it does not exist only on earth. Part of it's up yonder in heaven with him. And they are part of the host, though they pass the flood and are in the presence of God. They're still members of the church. And we have apostles and prophets. Well, may I say to you that we do. And right now, aren't we studying the epistle to the Ephesians? Who wrote that, by the way? Apostle Paul, well, where is he? He's up yonder with Christ. You remember he said, absent from the body, present with Christ. And he says, it's far better to go and be with the Lord. Well, he's taken the far better route now. And he's up yonder, but he's a member of the church. And we're studying his epistle today. So he's given to the church, the apostles and prophets and the evangelists were the traveling missionaries and pastors and teachers And the one that is the office of a teacher is one interests me naturally a great deal. Because if I don't have that gift, I don't have any, that's for sure. And you will find that that gift is mentioned in Romans 12, and then again in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and 29, and then again in 1 Timothy 3, 2. Now, God has given these men to the church, that the church might be brought to full maturation, where there would be inhibitions, that the church wouldn't make a nut of itself, that the church would not appear ignorant before the world. And the teachers and all of these are to prepare the church that they might do the work. Do you notice what he says here? The work of ministering and building up the body of Christ. Now, we call a pastor of a church a minister. But now, if you're a Christian today, you're as much a minister as he is. You don't have to be ordained to be a minister. He has a certain gift. And this is something else I'd like to say. I do not believe that any man that is in the church today has all the gifts. Dr. Chaffer used to say he never met a man he thought he had both gifts. He said at one time that he led his own singing and did the preaching when he started out as an evangelist. And a dear lady came to him one night and said, Dr. Chaffer, you're doing too much said, you ought not to lead the singing and do the preaching both. And she said, why don't you get somebody to do the preaching? Well, may I say to you, he was a musician, but I thought he was a great teacher also. 
So that the interesting thing is that we have today the viewpoint that the pastor has several gifts and that one of them is the minister. Well, he is to teach the Word of God so that his members are those that are in under him, that they might do the work of the ministry. They might be the one to go out and witness. And today we have the church going in reverse. And a great many people think it's the business of the pastor or the pastoral staff to do all the visitation. I think it's the business of the members. That's their responsibility and the thing that they should do. We are seeing laymen becoming more involved. And so many young people, young Christians, getting involved in doing the witnessing. Now, they need teaching, and they need teachers. I think that's the only reason in the world they'll listen to me is because they feel like I can teach. And by the way, there are folk that get a great deal excited when they hear somebody using my material. I had a call some time ago from a lady back in Ohio, and there's apparently a preacher back there that does a pretty good job of imitating me, and the Lord help Ohio for having a man like that. But nevertheless, she said he's teaching the book of Ruth and says he not only follows your book and follows your teaching, he uses your illustration. And she says, I think it's terrible that you ought to stop him. Oh, I said, is he doing a good job? And she said, yes, he is. He's doing a fine job. Well, I said, praise the Lord. I always felt like somebody would come along and do it much better, and I did it. And she says, yes, but he ought not to do that. I said, I don't see why he shouldn't. My business is to try to prepare the others to do the work of the ministry. And this man apparently is using material, and he's free to use it. Now, I know a preacher that I saw an article that he wrote, and he said, you can't use this without permission. Who in the world does he think he is? Why, we are to build up the church, and that material ought to be free for anybody to use. And every now and then I get letters from ministers one the other day, and he said, I want to preach this sermon of yours. Is it all right? Well, I said, one thing I ask of you, do it better than I did, brother. That's the important thing. But use the material, of course, because, my friend, we're to build up the body of Christ today. And it rejoices me that when I get letters and people say, I took your material or your book and I used it out yonder, I used the tape. I thank God for that, my friend. We're to get the Word of God out today. And that's the important thing, that these men have been given to the church for the building up of the church. And that's one reason that I went out of the pastorate into the wider ministry of radio. I found out that by radio I could build up more people. And very candidly, and I'm talking to you very frankly, but don't expect your pastor to do it all. He's there to train you that you might do the work of the ministry and that the church might be built up to full maturation, that we might not act like a bunch of nuts today, that we might give a good, clear-cut, intelligent witness in the world. And may I add this? I'm very frank, as you know. I think that the greatest sin in the local church today is the ignorance of the man sitting in the pew doesn't know the Word of God. And that's tragic. I'd hate to get into an airplane that the pilot 
didn't know any more about flying than the average church member knows about Christianity or the Word of God, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that the plane would make it, my friend. I think it would crash maybe before it even got 10 feet in the air. Now, that is the condition of the church today. That's another reason. We believe that getting the Word of God out today is pretty important. Will you forgive us for going into detail here like this? Now, let me move along. In verse 14, he says, "...in order that we be no longer children." <laughs> you know, we are to have inhibition. We're not to run around like a bunch of babies crying. You remember, that's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He says, "...you're carnal, you're babes in Christ, and you're disgrace." In order that we be no longer children, tossed up and down and driven about with every wind of teaching by the slight of man, and that's the shooting of dice of man, in craft and cunning, tending to the system of error, scheming of deceit, but being followers of truth and love, may grow up into him as to all things who is the head, Christ, from whom all the body, being fitly framed together and put together through every joint of the supply according to energy of the measure of each individual part, that is, according to the working in the measure of every part, the whole body making the increase of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, the purpose of Christ and given to the church men with different gifts is to develop believers from babyhood to full maturation. These men are to be, therefore, pediatricians. Now, I use the expression sometimes, I am not an obstetrician. Primarily, I'm a pediatrician. The obstetrician, he brings the baby into the world. Now, I know he has to get up at 1 o'clock in the morning to do all this, and that it's pretty bad, and he spends the night. But from then on, he's through with the little <coughs> angel, by the way, and he turns him over to the pediatrician. And that's the fellow that has the problem of putting on the dieties and giving the bottle and burping him. And I've been a pediatrician in my ministry, and the obstetrician is sort of second. But that's been my business. And I feel that that's what many of us are called to do. Now, there is a mixing of metaphors here. Will you notice? And he brings out vividly the danger of a believer continuing as a babe. Children are never put in command of a ship at sea. It's like the pilot, you know, of a plane. You wouldn't put a baby up there running it. You wouldn't put my little grandson up there. I hope he's a smart boy, but he's not that smart. If they were, they'd be tossed up and down in a ship, driven here and there without direction over the vast expanse of sea, and in a plane it'd crash. They'd become discouraged and seasick as they lose their way. Now, this is a frightful picture of the possible fate of a child of God. Now, the figure of speech changes again. These babes are seen in a gambling den where the sharpest take them in with a system of error. And I wouldn't think of sending my grandson up here to Las Vegas to play the slot machine. In fact, when he gets a 100 years old, I won't send him there, and I'll tell you that. In contrast, though, the believer is to follow the truth in love. That is to love it, live it, and speak it. Christ is truth, and the believer must sail his little bark of life with Christ as his compass and the magnetic pole 
toward Christ, all things must point. The body receives not only orders from the head, but spiritual nourishment. And this produces a harmony where each member's functioning in his place as he receives spiritual supplies from the head. The body has an inward dynamic whereby it renews itself. Likewise, the spiritual body is to renew itself in love. Now, we've had the exhibition of the new man, the inhibition of the new man. Now, we come to the prohibition of the new man. There is the negative side of the believer's life. And I think this is important to see today. There is not enough emphasis right now on this. We talk about all of this new morality, which is nothing in the world but just old sin. And there's a liberty in Christ, but it's not license to sin by any means. And there is the negative side. So we're going to see that there are some prohibitions. And I'll be very frank again, and let me say this. I can't find anywhere here where it says a woman is not to use makeup. I don't know. I'm not hipped on that, but I do want to say that I've been with a group for years that judged a great many women by the amount of makeup that they use. And I used to have a great deal of fun when teaching and kidding these young people. And many of these girls think they were spiritual, come in with disheveled hair and no makeup on. They look like they're a walking zombie. And I think some of them were just about that, by the way. And I used to tell them when they'd ask the question, should a girl use makeup? And I'd said, well, I'll tell you one thing. Some of you'd look better with it. And I think a Christian ought to look the best he can, but he ought not to be painted up like a barber pole. There are prohibitions, but that just doesn't happen to be one of them. And we need to recognize that there is the power of negative thinking. We've had too much of the power of positive thinking. We need a little of the power of negative thinking. I have a sermon on that, by the way. And if you ever stop to think, the Garden of Eden, that was the only kind of thinking there was in the Garden of Eden, and it was a garden, remember? And thou shalt not eat of that tree. <laughs> That's negative, and it's the only thing that was there. And then when you come to the Ten Commandments, they're very negative, but very good. And now there's some negative thinking here, prohibition of the new man. Verse 17, this then I say and testify, that is, I solemnly declare in the Lord that ye walk no longer as also the Gentiles walk, in the vanity, the emptiness of illusion of your mind, having been darkened in the understanding, that is, in your moral perception. Don't go for the new morality. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance which is in them, through the hardness of their heart who as being past feeling, cease from feeling pain, have given themselves over to uncleanness, lasciviousness, to a working of all uncleanness and greediness and covetousness. Now, Paul returns at this juncture to the practical aspect of the believer's walk. Now, will you notice? Listen to him. He had introduced it in those first three verses, but he was detoured by the instruction of the subject of the unity of the church. Now he gives a picture of the lives of Gentiles and the lives of the Ephesians before conversion. He told about their position. You remember back in chapter 2, you were way off, strangers, without hope and without God, but they were also living in sin. This is their picture. 
Now, this is a graphic picture of the lost man today. That is, what he does. And there are four aspects of the walk of the Gentiles that illustrate the absolute futility and insane purpose of the life of the lost man. That you not walk as Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. Now, notice that. The vanity of their mind means the empty illusion of the life that thinks their satisfaction in sin. Oh, how many people? How many? And I feel so sorry for many of these young people that have taken on the new morality. One girl said to me, two abortions, murdered two babies, not married. What a life. That's not life, my friend. That's awful. That's terrible. And the Gentiles walk that way. The lost people, they walk in the vanity of their mind, an empty illusion of life that it's great to drink cocktails. And a woman said to me, who's become an alcoholic, she started listening to the program. She's right now fighting a battle to be delivered from alcohol. And she's accepted Christ the best she can, but she can't leave the bottle alone. May I say to you, she says, oh, how tragic it was to think it was so smart and sophisticated to drink cocktails. How tragic. And the second thing, having been darkened in the understanding. Why, the lost man has lost his perception of moral values. And that's exactly what the new morality is. No perception of it. And then the third, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them. Now, what a picture of mankind today. He thinks he's living. <laughs> And one man told me, said he spent $75 one night, he and his wife in a nightclub. What to do? Have a good time. That's expensive good time. And let me tell you, fun time. And you have to pay like that and go through all of that to have a good time. You're alienated from the life of God and certainly dead in trespasses and sin. Now, here's the fourth. Who as being past feeling have given themselves over to uncleanness, to a working of all uncleanness in covetousness. Now, this continuance in this state of moral ineptitude, it brings them down to the level where they have no feeling of wrongdoing. And there are a lot of folk like that today. They're apathetic. The resultant condition is to plunge further into immorality and lasciviousness. And this vicious cycle will finally lead them to a desire to even deeper sin. If you paint the town red tonight, you've got to have a bigger bucket and a bigger brush for tomorrow night. The meaning is to covet the very depths of immorality. Now, men in sin are never satisfied with sin. They become abandoned to sin. Now, this is what it means in Romans. God gave them up. You can reach the place, my friend, where you are an abandoned sinner. Now, verses 20 and 21. But ye did not thus learn Christ, if indeed him ye did hear, and in him were taught, even as in Jesus there is truth. And my friend, if you're not listening to Jesus, then he must not be your Savior. He's the shepherd. His sheep, he says, hears his voice. You haven't heard his voice. You just couldn't be a sheep, you see. Now, this is the picture of the Gentiles that we've seen now 
Here is the thing. What are they to do there? They listen to Christ. They are to hear him. And other sheep are not to hear him. When an unsaved man writes me and says to me, I disagree with you. Fine, brother. I hope you don't agree with me. That's the entire picture, by the way. And this is the thing that we need to recognize, that the saved person looks to the Lord Jesus as his shepherd, lets him lead him, listens to him. And he is an example, not that we can imitate him because we can't, but he certainly has been the one that has been the pioneer that went through the doorway of death for us. And he's the one that when he walked down here, he is an example to look to. No reason for any believer being in the dark today. Now he says here, "...ye put off as regards your former manner of life the old man which is being corrupted according to the lusts of deceit, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind." and that you put on the new man who is created after God in the righteousness and wholeness of truth. This is like putting off a garment and putting on a new one. And you and I have the old nature. We're just not to wear that garment, my friend. After Dr. McGee recorded the study, he had a few more thoughts to share. Let's listen now. When we come to Christ for salvation, we begin a walk. And Paul says that we are to walk in the Spirit. It's quite interesting that when we're talking about warfare and standing for the things of God, we are told to stand fast, and having done all, to stand as a soldier. But as a normal Christian living the Christian life, we are to walk through this world, and we're to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And also, if we are out after reward, wanting to hear him say, Someday, well done, thou good and faithful servant, we'll be running the Christian life. We'll be pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. But here, we begin a walk, and we listen to the good and the great shepherd to lead us. And now, he comes here to this new metaphor. He says the Christian life is like taking off a dirty garment and putting on a new garment. Perhaps some of you can remember, as I do as a boy, that on Saturday night the number two tub was brought into the kitchen and filled with warm water, and then we took a bath in that tub. And when we got out, Having had a nice warm bath, we put on a nightgown. didn't have pajamas in my day. It was a nightgown. And then the next morning, we put on a clean pair of pants and a clean shirt. And if it's summertime, we'd be barefooted. But if it was wintertime, we'd be putting on a pair of socks, and they'd be clean. How wonderful that was. Well, the Christian life is like that. It's when you and I come to Christ, we put on a new garment. And the old garment is the practice of the old nature. And before we were saved, we lived in the power of the old nature. We were corrupt because we satisfied the lust of the old nature, the desires of the flesh. 
And Paul, by the way, believed in the total depravity of humanity. Now, Christ did not die, therefore, to make us happy. This light-hearted thinking that we have going around today, it's very frothy, and it appeals to meringue minds, but it isn't exactly what Christ died for. He didn't die to make us happy. He died to make us holy. And we're going to see that next time, that actually we were liars. All men are liars, that David says. He said it in his haste, but you can say it having thought it over a long time. Now we are to tell the truth. We are to be angry at sin, but not angry with the sinner. We were thieves. Now we are to be honest. We had a foul mouth before. Now, we're not to tell dirty stories. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit by permitting sin to go unconfessed in our hearts. We are not to be unkind. These are some of the things we'll be dealing with next time. For more information about the ministry of Through the Bible, visit us at ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.